we're so reductionist in our need for certainty that it could only be the worst year of your life, right? Or it had to be the best year, but it couldn't be both at the same time. And I think that resilience is actually about exactly that, being able to live with that, um, with that duality, that this is going to be good for me, but right now it sucks. Or um, this is good for me now, but it might suck for me later. Everything has a light and a dark edge, right? Every opportunity has a downside and every threat has an upside. And it's the way that we approach it that allows us to exploit it. Welcome to Moving Dialogues. I'm SC Augusto Vertanen, your host, and I created this podcast because I believe in dialogue. Dialogue is how we connect and share our stories. And our stories, well, they are our superpower. So I want to connect with you to share my own personal stories, but also introduce some incredible human beings and their powerful narratives that can move your heart, but also move you into action. I hope this podcast can also help you feel that you are not alone in whatever reality or struggle you might be facing and give you support from afar. I hope this podcast can also give you tools to help you keep connecting and keep moving no matter what. So let's connect and let's get moving. Welcome back to yet another episode of Moving Dialogues. I'm your host, S.C. Augusta Britanning, and today we're going to speak about one of my favorite subjects when I did my master's in positive psychology. And I think it's something that's very current and something very relevant for this year, especially in 2020, which is resilience. Um, my today's guest is Dr. Artie Unhall. <laughs> I hope I said that right. Um, she is the founder of Before Nine, a consultancy that helps organizations sustain optimal performance through a positive working approach that enables employees and employers to thrive during good times and periods of adversity, crisis, and change. Through coaching, training, and advisory support, Artie and her team integrate the drivers of well-being, resilience, and agility into organizational systems, leadership, and culture. They employ a unique blend of evidence-based psychology interventions and behavioral techniques with organizational resilience and transformation strategies, uh, bringing out the best in people and enabling organization to sustain success. Artie completed her PhD at the University of Cambridge over 10 years ago, and recently she acquired specialist knowledge of positive psychology and coaching psychology, which is actually how I met her. Welcome, Artie. Welcome. How are you today? Oh, thank you, Essie. I'm really good. How are you? I'm excited. I'm just so excited <laughs> to speak about resilience and like, as your bio shows, like you are just an expert of resilience, I would say, like, you know, professionally, you're focused on it. And then I'm, I'm just super excited to hear about your personal stories about it. So like, I just want to thank you for being here. It's just it means a lot taking the uh time. You're very welcome. And, you know, actually, I would say you say that I'm a resilience expert. And actually, I hope that at the end of listening to this, everyone recognizes that actually we are all as human beings, resilience experts. We just don't often know it, you know. So hopefully we can all be experts together by the end of this session, or at least we can recognize that we're all experts. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to you know follow up on that a little bit. But just to give you guys a little bit what to expect from today's episode. So, 
you know, you're going to hear about artists' personal stories. You know what I want to do with this episode is to really... Stories are our superpower and everyone has their own stories. So I always want to give the people opportunity to share their story and their experience, how they got where they got. And then we're going to also define and explain what resilience is. Um, so you profoundly understand, because sometimes we might think about something that we, you know, it's a word we know, but then do we actually know what it truly means and how it embodies in our lives? And then at the very end, um, we're going to give some resilience tips. So stay tuned until the very end. So I just, I just love what you said. I'm just going to actually like, just like start from that before I forget, because I'm sure we're going to go to various places because <laughs> we're so enthusiastic about the subject. Um, but you said that everybody can be an expert. Can you just touch on that just to start with and kind of, and also I'm just curious, how did you get into resilience and became an expert resilience yourself that you just got so interested about resilience? How did that all like come about? Let's start there. <laughs> okay, so sure. Well, actually, let's talk about this resilience expert piece first then, right? And I guess the reason I'm saying that is um, people think, and I think that it doesn't help when perhaps society or psychologists or perhaps the media tell us that resilience is some dark art, right? But actually, as human beings, we all have a level of resilience inbuilt in us. We would not have overcome, adapted, thrived for millennia as human beings if we had not had some profound resilience capability built into us. So that's the first thing. We all have some. The second part is that then... How do we recognize that we have resilience? Well, most often it's when we're actually tested. It's when we actually go through something and we have to draw on things. And then we finally realize what it is we're drawing on and how we were able to overcome. Or it may be that actually life has just carried on beautifully for us. And um, we are just constantly trying to play with ways of managing stress or managing difficulty, but we haven't yet been tested. And so I guess the reason I say we're all experts is that we all have a profound body of knowledge within us, wisdom within us, strategies within us that we use every day. Even when you burn something and you learn to cook it better the next time, there is something that you have done differently that helped you to overcome and go back into the kitchen to cook again, right? It's a very small analogy. But the point is, is that we're always learning. We're always overcoming difficulty. Life is about learning and overcoming the challenge and the setbacks and, the, and taking, the, taking the most of opportunity. So I guess my role in life has always just been to think, how do I help people and how do I help businesses recognize what they've already got within them that they perhaps haven't identified or maybe they've never used before. And how do I help them bring that out day to day to make a difference to their lives, but also when times are tough. And, you know, I guess what we're going through right now with COVID-19 and the significant changes we've seen in the world is really evidence of the biggest test of resilience people and businesses have potentially faced for a very long time. Absolutely. And that's why I thought this is just so current to talk about resilience for that particular reason, though how mm. businesses and individuals within the businesses and into just their personal lives have, have to tap mm. into that resilience. But I love that you say that, that all of us have it. Because some people are like, oh, I don't think I have it, but that all of us do, but about recognizing it. So how would you say then if someone is like that, that they, I don't, 
I don't, what is this resilience? I don't really think I have it. What, what is that? How would you define it, explain resilience to them? Because I think the number one step is to understand it yeah, and then yeah. you can recognize it and then tap into it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's the interesting thing. I mean, if you look about the, the classic definition of resilience, which came through psychology in the 1970s, came around because there were psychologists who wanted to study why children in deprived areas, some of them went on to succeed in their lives some of them didn't. And they wanted to understand what it was that those people, those children were doing that had enabled them to succeed, despite having very poor socioeconomic backgrounds, perhaps being very disadvantaged. And that's where resilience really started. And similarly, it kind of then became this concept that was really about how do people adapt well in the face of challenge, adversity, or change? So there's a piece around how do you cope with it? How do you then adapt to it? And how do you then progress in your life as a result of what you've experienced? Um, and I think over the last, gosh, how many years? So 50 years, really, what we've seen in psychology is 122 definitions of resilience. So one of the reasons why we always get confused about what it is, is because no one can quite agree, right? <laughs> Wow, that's a lot of definition. <laughs> it is right, and I suppose to kind of um, to kind of help consolidate what those two hundred and twenty-two are talking about, we talk about these three R's, right? So we tend to see in these definitions or in research around resilient people, one of or many of the three R's, and the first one is resistance. So this is the idea of being able to stand strong, and the classic metaphor that is used is the tree that stays rooted. Right. The tree that no matter what happens, no matter how big the storm, the tree stays strong and it stands strong. And the second R is the recovery. So this is about the tree that says, OK, well, the wind is blowing. I'm staying rooted, but I also need to be able to to kind of adjust, adapt. And this is the palm tree. Right. The palm tree is brilliant at actually being able to sway in the direction that the wind is taking it in. It's moving with it rather than resisting it. And then the third R, which is reconfiguration, it is essentially the flower that grows on the bark of the tree, which is I, I stayed rooted. And as a result of experiencing something, something has grown, something has transformed within me. And what's really interesting is that sometimes you'll see that you as an individual are really good at one thing. So you might be really good at resisting. I'm really good at standing strong, but perhaps you're not very flexible you're not very good at the recovery part. So your idea of resilience is, I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. I'm just going to power through. We know that that is actually not a healthy, positive approach to resilience because there are times when simply staying rooted is not going to help you move forward in life, right? So what I've seen in the last 10 years around definitions of resilience for people at work, resilience in the workplace, is much more focus on this flexibility idea. And, and actually, you could think about it at a human level, even now during COVID. We cannot control everything. So how are we going to learn to be flexible in the way that we think, flexible in the way that we feel, and then flexible in the way that we behave when we're either going through sustained periods of stress or we've experienced something very traumatic or we've just been part of a big change? You know, and that could be organizational restructuring or it could be you've just moved to a different country or it could be anything in between. Um, 
And what I find really fascinating about this um, is a great quote that Brené Brown, who I absolutely love, I'm sure lots of people listening will know her. her. Love her, right? Power of vulnerability changed my life. I don't know how many million people. Me too. Like that (laughs) book, if I had to pick like one book, that that changed my life, honestly. Amazing book. Amazing. And what I love about her is that she has one sentence, which I think is better than any definition of resilience. And it is, resilience is the story we tell ourselves. Wow. Wow. Resilience is the story that we tell ourselves. I could, I feel like I would need to think about that a little bit. And I suppose wow. maybe as someone who, you know, you are the storyteller, you love stories. What does that mean while you reflect on that? I'll share a little bit about what that means to me, which is really whatever's going on for you, whatever you're experiencing, do you know the stories that are playing out in your mind? Do you understand what you're telling yourself about that situation, about yourself? Is it helping you? Is it hindering you? And and I think the important caveat to all of that is not to say that, look, resilience is about being positive and shiny and telling yourself brilliant stories, even when you're in absolutely the depths of despair. We know right, that negative thinking is a sign of something being wrong in our environment, that negative emotion is a response that is probably a survival instinct that's helping us to understand that we're at the limit of, of an experience or an emotion or something that we're going through and that we need to find help. So it's not about storytelling that is only positive, but it's just about becoming aware of the storytelling. That's it. I love that because, uh, and recently, and in the the previous episode was all about how to cope with change, where um, me and a good friend of mine, my assistant producer, we spoke about time to change now graduating from college. And I know right now at the time we're um, recording this, you know, they just received A-levels and grades were downgraded and there's a whole thing going on in, in the UK about that right now. And and about this times of change when 2020 has been challenging enough and then you've been discouraged and grades, well, like I said in one of the videos I did on Instagram, it's like grades don't define you. Mm. Just a reminder, they're just one thing, one stepping stone where you actually meant to go. Even if you don't get the grade you need, you know, you still get somewhere. But that's the thing, like, when it comes to receiving a grade or finishing a chapter and this kind of, like you said, times of change, which is very relevant to resilience. And we've gone through so much change this year. It's been all about change. And I said, like, I think change is the word that I would pick for, for 2020 or maybe patience. That's another one. But thinking when you go through times of change and even me right now, like having graduated and now I'm like, okay, what do I do now? These transitional changes that we go through, I've just have to be so aware of the stories I'm telling myself. It's like, like you said, is it helpful? Is this actually good? For two weeks, it wasn't the best stories I was telling myself. And you might be in this kind of a, you know, slump, how to get out of this. Like, oh, I'm not hearing back from the jobs I'm applying to. And then you can start actually reacting and starting telling stories. Oh, I'm not good enough or whatever, these kind of stories. But then like you said, it's not about being positive, like, no, 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 I'm going to turn that into I am enough thinking. No, but like, hang on, let's sit with this. Why is this here? Why is this happening? What am I actually feeling? And I, I actually think when it comes to resilience, it's also it's about being with those stories, connecting with them. And then when you do connect with them, you start 
making the change towards something positive. Obviously, the goal is to feel better and whatever you're going through to get empowered again and, and you know, fulfill your potential and not be in this kind of slumps and negative states. But I love what you said that it's really the, to- the stories that we tell ourselves. I'm like, that really hit me home, actually. So thank you for sharing that. No, and I, I, well, it's my pleasure. And I think, you know, just to take that on a little bit then, um, this is about building experience, right? So the reason my heart goes out to all the people who have been so, um, let's be honest, messed around by the changing goalposts around what good will look like for their results, how they will be assessed, whether that will mean success for them in terms of getting the first choice universities, they are young. And actually what we know about resilience and and what I know, someone now who's many years later than that, is that you're constantly building the muscles. You know, I think of resilience as muscles. The more you get to use them, the more the build the confidence that you know things are going to be okay. When it's the first time you've experienced challenge and adversity, it is going to feel like the end of the world and you are going to catastrophize mm-hmm. and you just need people around you, support network, parents, role models to tell you that actually, look, trust me, it's not going to be the end of the world. And I mean, you asked me earlier about how I got into this and I really, for me, I feel like life has just been a series of lessons around resilience. So I have, you know, kind of my personal life and then my professional life. And my personal life was that as anyone who grows up, you have challenges, you have setbacks, you have negative experiences, you have uh, feelings of being hurt, let down. Um, I, I was very lucky that I learned the practice of Reiki, which is a Japanese healing form, um, which is a hands-on healing form, but also there's a whole philosophy that comes with it. And I use that philosophy plus kind of Hindu and Buddhist kind of philosophy in my late teens to help me understand that every time I wanted to ask the question, why me? Why is this happening to me? There was something there that told me deep within, because this is part of the journey, because this is what you have to go through, because suffering is part of life. And I was lucky that actually what that um approach did for me was a it helped me release all the negative emotions I had and you know I know I've mentioned to you that I lost my father when I was quite young um from a very aggressive form of cancer he went from being paralyzed to being gone in um six months and I really relied on what I had learned throughout my adult my then young adult life to get me through that and then you get through it And it builds another layer of experience and confidence, right? So then every time you're walking through life, having built experiences, I mean, we call it self-efficacy, don't we? Uh, From a coaching perspective, which is people's belief and confidence in their ability to produce results. I was growing my self-efficacy to be resilient when I needed to be. Um, And so I always had this kind of real fascination, both spiritually and personally, with what does it take in life to overcome difficulty and what are the healthy ways of doing that and the non-healthy. And then professionally, I happened to just be following a career where I 
didn't really know what I wanted to do. I trained as a lawyer and then I was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to push paper around. Then I was like, I want to save the world. So I went into international relations. And then I was like, okay, it's not one person's job to save the world. It's going to take more than me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try and save the Tibetans. So then I went and did my PhD on Tibetan international politics and human rights. And then I was like, okay, I can't save them. So you could see this rescuer in me, right? Mm. Wanting to help people, wanting to find an outlet for helping people who had been through difficulty or who were going through difficulty. Um, And it was only after my PhD, when I went into management consulting, that I started to work in crisis management, corporate crisis management, which is how do you help organizations to respond to really difficult things? And the reason that this pandemic didn't come as a surprise to me is because 11 years ago, I was advising businesses on swine flu and hand washing and desk separating. So there are many people who've worked in risk management and resilience who knew this was coming. It just seemed to surprise a lot of other people, right? But in that career then of crisis management and helping organizations think about what do we need to do to get through difficult times, I felt that they were really missing the vital piece, which was their people. They would put processes and procedures in place for managing difficult things, but they wouldn't think about the role that their people played in managing difficult situations and the strengths and perhaps the limitations that people would bring if they didn't have mental well-being or they didn't have a level of self-efficacy or they weren't themselves resilient. And that's why I set up Before Nine really was to help people to become a bigger force in organisations for bringing out the best in that organisation, but also helping that organisation in difficult times. Mm. So I think for me, it's been a life personally that then coincided with a professional life that's given me more insight into what I use to be resilient and what other people use to be resilient. Um, But yeah, so you can just tell, right? (laughs) I'm very passionate about it. But um, and I find that actually right now during this pandemic, and I hope that, you know, this generation who have gone through so much in terms of disruption to their learning, uh, separation from their friends, um, you know, and then these challenges around exams and what that means for their future career. I hope they they will know that, you know, in 20, 30 years time, hopefully this will have been a building block for building that resilience. It didn't make it easy. It didn't make it fair. It didn't make it, um, you know, it didn't make it anything other than what it is, but at least hopefully they've got people around them to support them in recognizing that this is a test of their resilience and they will come through it. Absolutely. And there's so much you said there that I could like go to all the places, but I, but I, but I love that you said that because I connected with so much you saying, like, it's like a muscle that you train. So I want to touch on that a bit because and and considering, like you said, this year that we can think like 20, 30 years. Oh, remember 2020. Whoo, we will remember year 2020. Every one of us will remember 2020. And then, so globally, we will remember that year. But it's also what you make of it, isn't it? But it's also like for me, and in episode one, I shared my personal story. I will forever remember 2017. Mm. And if you listen to that episode, you know why. Because I lost my brother that year and then... I had a breakup and then I was alone in London and then I was working for CNN and then I was depressed because all the things were going on. And, and it's like, maybe also thinking of like listeners besides like just this year, 2020, like what has this year really put me through, but not thinking of it as a, Oh my God, this has been 
the the worst year of my life and oh like I feel so like no like like I said in the first episode it's potential mm. it's all about how you see it as well you can see 2020 being the worst year of your life I often said about 2017 that's the worst year of my life but now how I would say it is like that was the year who made me the most resilient when I learned most about myself and when I found my purpose like the list could go and on so it's also like whatever you've gone through, maybe this year, or maybe there's some other events, like you said that you lost your father. You mm. might remember that year and that time, but you see like, I am me because of what I went through that. And going through life, like you said, adversity and trauma and challenges and changes are part of life, right? Mm. So I love what you said, like training the muscle. So seeing like when something new comes in, and that's an interesting thing, my brother's birthday was actually yesterday and it's interesting timing that we we're recording this. And, in, and of course, like, you know, all day I go, I know that it's the, it's the day and then you're having a good day, but then it hits you in the late evening. Like, this is very sad, mm. but how like from that devastation loss, 2017, and then I gradually started, like you said, training the muscle. Okay. What can I do when I'm alone in London? What are, okay. I'm going to listen to Tony Robbins. Okay. Mm. I'm going to, okay. Exercise helps. You know, like these are all like pathways, how you work to like become more resilient. So what I call keep connecting, keep moving. Mm. I think that's my idea of resilience, what people and listeners have heard. And my friends have heard many, many times, mm. keep connecting, keep moving. That was my way of how I put resilience, just whatever way, find a way to connect to yourself mm. and being in this world that you feel a little bit better. I wasn't feeling good, but you feel a little bit better and then you can keep on moving. But also like Tony Robbins says, when you move your body, you can change your state. So those mm. are also interlinked in a way, but it's like, how can you keep connecting and keep moving no matter what life hits you with? Mm. And I love that we're talking about this because it, it just clicked with me actually right now. Like that is my kind of definition. Keep connecting, like keep yourself first, and then you can keep on moving and you can keep on going and yeah, train the muscle, find those ways that really help you. And then and going back to like yesterday. So yeah, I got sad, but was I devastated? No. Why? Because I've done the work. I've built mm. that muscle. Mm. I can be sad, but how can I connect in this moment? Okay, I'm going to write a post on Instagram to feel mm. better and to serve and be like, hey, let's be in this together. Let's connect. Again, mm. connection mm. with the people was my way to connect with myself. And then I could get up in the morning and be like, I'm okay. I dealt yeah. with you know? And and you know there are there are two themes there that I really wanted to pick up on. The first thing is we're not very good at human beings at be able to say that something is this and it's that, right? And if anyone could see me right now, they'd know that I was holding up one hand, left hand, and right hand to say that things can be two things at once, right? Yeah. We're so reductionist in our need for certainty that it could only be the worst year of your life, right? Or it had to be the best year, but it couldn't be both at the same time. And I think that resilience is actually about exactly that, being able to live with that, um, with that duality, that this is going to be good for me, but right now it sucks. Or um, this is good for me now, but it might suck for me later. Everything has a light and a dark edge, right? Every opportunity has a downside and every threat has an upside. And it's the way that we approach it that allows us to exploit it. Yeah, manage the stuff that's not going so well, but recognize there's an opportunity. Or take all the opportunities you want, but realize that life is not one happy, shiny place full of opportunities. Things can still go wrong. I think that if we can learn to let go of the need for certainty, the muscle is definitely 
built stronger. And and I think the other reason I call it this muscle is because people will say, so is it just one thing, resilience? Is it just in order to cope, adapt well, recover? Is it just one thing that I need to do? And and I'll say, no, it's not one thing. It is a whole range of resources and skills and strategies that you develop for yourself that you then use in different situations, right? Mm. And in a work context, I always say to people, it's like emotional intelligence or it's like good leadership. There are many different aspects of who you are and what you do that enables you to be emotionally intelligent. Relationship with yourself, relationship with others, understanding self, understanding others. It's the same thing with good leadership. Yes, you need to be empathetic, but you also need to be a good communicator. You also need to be able to inspire, but you also need to be strategic. You also need to be able to do the hard work. Lots of different things go into being a good leader. And it's the same for resilience. For you, what you've just said is, for me, it's about I, I connect to myself, I understand what's going on for me, and then I move in whatever direction or in whatever way I need to based on that information, right? Mm-hmm. And for someone else, it'll be like, I just need to go and be with my friends. Um, oh, and I also need to go for a run. And for someone else, it will be like, I just need to be on my own and I need to read a quiet book and I need to self-coach a little bit to talk myself off a little, you know, kind of ledge. So that's the beauty, really, is that we are already... Really, when we talked initially about what what is it that we're experts in, we're already experts in what we do regularly, that it's either helpful or not helpful. And so yeah, and and sorry to interrupt, but it's interesting that it's like and the resilience actually, and I loved it. You said that earlier on is that who you are, like that's where you find the resilience. Like it's that kind of what we call in coaching more person centered. Like you have everything within you that you need to do whatever you want in life. But in our, considering our conversation, you have all the skills and tools and things mm-hmm. to be resilient. It's just about finding what I would call how do you need to connect so you can be resilient and keep on moving. That you wouldn't just, you know, get depressed and do absolutely nothing or you, you get burned out. You're just like, you know, lack of motion that we would just mm-hmm. stop and you don't mm-hmm. get out of bed. We don't want that. Right. Like and I'm very um, having been, you know, depressed and I think depression being one of the biggest issues and mental health issues is it it's like many people are they they go through something traumatic or maybe some of these changes they've gone through this year they've lost somebody their lack of motion they're like they don't want to get out of bed lack of motion or they oh i don't i just i'm not going to go to work or they just or lack of action they don't do anything so it's like okay just move your body just get out of bed breathe like like six breaths that could be the one thing that starts changing that just about finding those ways just to like what can I do but it's all within you right like it's all within you I love that and you know what's really interesting about that from a gut perspective um is that even you know a lot of the work I do in the workplace is about helping people manage the environment and their resilience within it and so I always say look yes it's about what the individual has within them but it's also about what the environment is doing to them how is the environment creating more stress, more demand, lack of resource, you know, perhaps toxic behaviors? What is it in that workplace environment that's making it harder for that person to rely on their trusted resilience mechanisms? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the work I have to do there is really um, impress upon employers and managers and leaders that they are also a massive part of of their staff's resilience they are responsible for creating the conditions in which that resilience needs to operate and actually you could say 
that if you actually worked in a really healthy, really positive environment, very clear boundaries, you had autonomy, you had great working relationships, a lot of the stresses that people are experiencing right now wouldn't even exist. And so people wouldn't even have to demonstrate resilience in those times. But what I think is really interesting about what you said is it's actually about interrupting the loop sometimes, isn't it? Right. It's that first five seconds, like Mel Robbins says, the five seconds rule. Right. And, you know, you can use this even if you're um, at work, you know, everyone's doing a lot of remote working right now. One of the biggest challenges I'm seeing is that people are basically sitting at their computer from eight o'clock in the morning because they don't have to commute anymore. And then they're getting through to lunchtime, but they've got a meeting booked, so they're not taking lunch. And then they're logging off at six or seven o'clock and they're like, wow, wow, all I'm doing is working right now. Or you've got parents, working parents, trying to educate, trying to look after children, trying to do 120% of their workload. But one of the things that I, I always love talking to people about is multitasking, just to bring it, just to bring it down to a really simple resilience strategy, because it helps to debunk what resilience is. It's just a stress management strategy here. But, you know, people will say, oh, yeah, you know, I do. I have a tendency to have seven different windows open for emails that I'm in the process of writing. And I'm like, oh, right. So, yeah, a little bit there, then a little bit there, then a little bit there. And um And I'll always just say, okay, you've got five seconds to shut all those windows down apart from one. Choose the one that you're going to continue to work on. This is resilience in action because this is you about saying, I'm about to create a lot of stress for myself and I'm just going to nip it in the bud. I'm going to interrupt the loop. Um, So I think, you know, there's the bigger stuff, which is about managing the real trauma and the real adversity. But there's also the day-to-day stuff that we can do which is about stress management, which is about, you know, kind of all the things we rely on that just helps to make life better during a potentially stressful time. Absolutely. And that was a really great tip about, would you have any other, um, and I love that you, you're really highlighting that fact that it's not just about, like I was sharing that I went through very traumatic and, and huge loss and, and, you know, adversity after that, that it's not always if someone is, oh, I, I haven't gone through anything that difficult, but they're like, no, it's just about life changes and the day-to-day life. So if you would touch on that a little bit more and, you know, for somebody listening who might be in that position and, and that email tip was really great because I'm sure that resonates with many people who work from home, but maybe just someone like day-to-day life, maybe that those students who graduate into figuring out their next step or someone who's unemployed or just millennials, you know, in general, thinking of that generation where they're at, and what tips would you give them just to kind of, what could they do in their day-to-day life just to work with that they would not get that stressed and just function and find resilience in their day-to-day life? Mm. So there's a great model called the four A's, right? Which is for stress management, which is that either you can alter the situation or you can adapt to the situation or you can accept the situation or you can seek to avoid the situation. So I always think, what is it that is stressing you out or is creating stress? And what is the strategy that you can use, right? So let's say there are some people who you happen to be around who actually don't bring out the best in you, yeah? You know that if you're in a particularly difficult mood or you're not feeling great, that actually they just they just kind of give you negativity. Mm. Avoid, right? Uh, similarly, right, people who are feeling like at the moment, I've got nothing I can do. I don't know what my job life's going to be. I don't know what I'm going to be able to achieve because this is a completely different environment now. Okay. Have to learn to accept that situation. But what is it you're going to tell yourself about the situation? What is the narrative? Okay. Everyone's in the same boat. 
will all be a generation who will be known to have gone through this. There will be people who understand and are empathetic to us. There are people who are trying to create new job opportunities and apprenticeships. How do I create a way, a pathway to that? And I think solution focus is really important here because actually, if we take your metaphor of connecting and moving, you know, the moving is the focus. What is going to be the solution focus I use to think about the future in a positive way. How am I going to actually go and do something that is constructive and positive for me in this moment based on how I feel? Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, you can, there's lots of um, great articles online about the four A's. So if anyone wants to look at that, so they can go, okay, yeah, what kind of situations would I need to alter my approach in? I mean, a classic one is if you're feeling really stressed about something, altering that situation is changing the parameters of that situation. Mm -hmm. Are the demands of that situation too high? If so, can you reduce them? Or you can, can you share those demands out? Can you talk to people about it? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the really interesting things about stress in itself is that we think it's really bad. And actually it's a really important part of what makes us human, right? It is the psychological and the physiological response we have when we believe that the demands that we are faced with outweigh the resources we have available to us. Exactly. Yeah. And what I love about that is that it's a perception game as well as an instinctive game, right? Yes, if the line is there, what are you doing? You're making a calculation that the demands that are being placed on you far outweigh the resources you have, right? Classic, clear. But so much now about what stresses us out can be the perception game. I think this situation is very demanding. I don't believe that I have the capabilities to deal with it. Therefore, I get stressed. When actually you and I know from what we've studied is that a certain amount of stress is really good. It's really healthy for us to feel that demands slightly outweigh our resources because that's where the magic happens. It's like when you go for a run, if you try and do a run in a certain amount of time or at a certain speed and you don't have the resources to do it just yet, you're going to push yourself. And that's where the magic growth happens. That's where you mm. train. You're training in that gap, right? And mm. it's the same for whether someone feels that they're not very good at speaking in public, or it's the same for if they feel that actually they don't have what it takes to negotiate a pay increase. The demands of doing that, I've never done it before. I don't know what it's like. I don't have the resources. It's how do you close the gap? And where do you recognize that actually we need some stress because we need to have a little rocket up us that kind of pushes us to grow? Absolutely. And I, I love that because it's also the same thing that if you kind of keep doing the same thing, that there is no gap at all, then then you can get really dull and boring. But that's then also like about flow state, which is yeah, which is another thing we could we could have a whole another episode about is like flow state also comes when you do that, you know, you're filling the gap, kind of doing things that a little bit scare you or like maybe you send that email, or you ask that promotion, like you said, it's exactly like it's almost like sounds like you push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I want to touch on one thing because I think also, and, and considering you mentioned stress and it's like, you know, that the stress is actually also good and monitoring the stress level. What would you tell to those, for example, key workers? I'm really curious about, let's say if you, if you're working with or coaching or working with like key workers, someone from the police or nurses, doctors or somebody who might be reaching out to you, like, Hey, I want you to help me with the resilience. Can you tell about, 
what you've observed in that space, like when they're in high stress environments doing long shifts, they just got to keep on going and they probably feel like they don't have fuel at times and they are overly exhausted physically. So the stress mm. emotionally, physically in all realms, because they don't only, you know, just face this COVID-19 situation, but they also see emotionally and psychologically very tough stuff like, you know, death and, and all that. They are really head first with all of that. What tips would you give to them and kind of how would you go about working with someone like a key worker? So I think what I've already experienced in, in working with some healthcare workers, um, and so I guess we could use that experience, is that these are people who are who find their work very meaningful. And you know, they're very committed. Their whole purpose is tied up in working in that environment. They've trained all their lives to work and support and they've been trained in how to deal with death and they've usually built up some resilience muscles of their own in terms of what they do when they've seen something traumatic of course the scale now is huge particularly for people who are working in intensive care um, but i think what's really interesting is that when you, what you observe sometimes is that we can be most at risk of undermining our own well-being when we find something so meaningful that it drives us to sacrifice ourselves. Oh my God, yeah. 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 What Any, would you tell, oh, that's huge. That's huge. That like, yeah, I've, I've witnessed that personally with some people, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, I think anyone who is passionate about what they do and creates their own business and, and becomes an entrepreneur also experiences this a little bit more on the fashion side. But again, if they're trying to solve a world problem and they were trying to make society better and it's really meaningful, they will you know, they will sacrifice their own well-being, they'll work all the hours. So the challenge for me when I'm working with key workers is to help them understand, look, how much of your identity is tied up in this work that you're doing? And where is the space for you in being able to do this work in the way that you want to with your high quality standards, being there for the team? Because in those dynamics, it's a lot about being there for the team. And the team is what's providing a lot of con uh, comfort support but also equally you want to go above and beyond for the team you want to make life easier you want to do shift swaps for the team and that is what can sometimes on the top of everything else that is what can be creating the stress is that sometimes you have to learn how to separate yourself and what you need from that collective effort because you can actually start to feel very guilty for taking time for yourself because you feel like you're potentially not playing your part in that collective effort. So for me, it's about the boundaries. You Absolutely. Know. And that's the thing, like, and we have studied positive psychology and we know all about the well-being is everything, right? And and doing positive psychology coaching. And with my clients, before we get to any sort of goals or, you know, the passion or the goal or they want to save the world or do their part, whatever it might be, it's like, okay, let's take care of you first. How are you doing? Let's optimize your well-being because when you feel your best, you can do your best. So it's also kind of, but that's the thing when there is such a high drive, this mission and purpose of serving, like you just said, you just like, we, you get so focused. That's the thing, like energy goes where, you know, where you, you focus, how energy goes, focus is where your energy flows as well. So then your energy is just put externally to service when you also have to fill your cup, right? It's all about filling that cup. If you have an empty cup, you can't save the world in the way that you can if you do take the time to. So what what tips or would you give to like if someone is like they have an empty cup and they need to fill it, but they have still those hours. There is still that pressure. They need to go, you know, in every day. 
is there anything like considered like, oh, I don't have the time to take care of myself right now because I have also the kids at home and, you know, all these like external, what would you tell them? Like, what could like a tiniest thing that they could even do, like maybe in a very little time that could even make the tiniest difference? I mean, that's a huge question because actually what I would be doing rather than tips is actually saying, okay, let's look at the home situation. What is it you can get your children to do for themselves? You know, solution focus. What can the children do for themselves? What responsibility can you delegate? You know, alter the situation, delegate. Okay, things may not get done in the way that you wanted them to get done, but they'll at least get done and you won't have to do them. Or who can do your shopping for you? Or who, who can give you the hour you need to do the one thing that you would love to do? What is the one thing you would love to do if you had an hour free? How can we help you create the conditions to do that? You know, if it is that it's one extra hour sleep, how do we help you to do that? Mm. Um, and let's not forget that actually the reason it sometimes feels so easy to do for others, but not for ourselves, yeah. is because that has its own stuff, right? That sometimes we don't feel that we're worthy enough of focusing all that energy on ourselves. It's much easier to focus it on others. And we can feel very selfish and very guilty and very self-indulgent for mm-hmm. focusing on ourselves. So for me, a lot of it is exactly as you said, until we help you fill your cup, the cup that you're giving everywhere else is not going to be at its best. And, you know, when all of this has passed, this is another thing, you know, future self, when all of this is passed, where do you want to be? What do you want life to look like? Do you want to be run ragged and exhausted? No, is usually the answer. Okay, where do we get you to on a scale of one to 10? If 10 is, you're going to be feeling brilliant at the end of this. What are the small things we can help you to do? So I think like you, it's a lot actually about combining the coaching work we do to actually personalize to that person's situation. But if I was to kind of take it and generalize it, it would be to say to anyone right now, you know, um, at the end of this pandemic, if we wave the magic wand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> magic wand question. Yo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who do you want to be yeah who do you want to be uh what do you want to have learned how do we help you get there what is the one thing you could do today to move closer to being that person that you want to be at the end of this pandemic guys this is the moment that you're gonna like rewind a little bit and write those questions down and you're gonna go with that notebook and 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 reflect on this i swear that that is one of the most powerful coaching questions that you can do, which often leads to massive aha moments. And Art just gave it to you, so you can even do it on your own. Massive. Thanks for sharing that. That was so powerful. Um, I know we could speak for ages. I'm just, you know, I'm cautious of the time. I just want to target one more area where we could kind of offer some tips and guidance before we're going to wrap up. Thinking of those people, we can talk about the trauma and adversity. So we've kind of spoken about everyday life. If you're very in high stress environments like key workers and really burned out, almost burned out to the ground with working in high stress environment, but then actually dealing with loss, because obviously, you know, people have experienced more loss this year than, you know, some of the past years due to this pandemic. How, what tips would you give for somebody who might be in that? And I know you listened to my first episode as well, who might be in that situation. They've lost a loved one. Um, and then the, you, what tips and tools or even just, you know, words of consolation and encouragement would you give to those people who've gone through a loss this year and in a way that they could start tapping into those, 
you know, tools within to work mm. on their resilience that, hey, you can keep on connecting and keep on moving. You've got this. What would you tell them? I mean, the first thing I would tell them is that you are not alone. Everyone has lost something this year, right? Yeah. Every, it's just a spectrum. Some people have lost uh, a way of life. Some people have lost the ability to separate from their home environment. Some people have lost the ability to work peacefully without their children being there. Some people have lost their job. Some people have lost their dreams. Some people have lost their loved ones. We are all experiencing loss. And so really it's about thinking about, okay, what makes the more traumatic loss different? Potentially it's that this is, we've lost someone who has been a huge part of our lives, who gave us so much, who didn't deserve to die. No one deserves to die. Mm. You know, this is the point, right? This is the, the yin and yang of life is that there will have been people this year who will have lost more than others. Everyone says, you know, we're in the same boat. We're not in the same boat. We're all on the same sea, but in very different boats, right? Mm. Oh, that's powerful. So for the person who feels like they've lost a lot, the resilient skill is to remember that this feeling, this feeling right now will pass because everything is temporary. Everything in this life is temporary. And as you mentioned yourself, a feeling that you can have had three years ago doesn't feel the same today, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the passage of time, but it's also the, the, the experience of healing. And right now, all you can do is reflect. I think gratitude is a huge help in terms of resilience when we're dealing with loss is what is it we can feel grateful for about this experience? Can we feel grateful for the person that we loved? Can we feel grateful for any aspect of this experience that we all got to be together or we all got to be on Zoom? Or if that doesn't feel like it's possible because actually COVID has changed the rule book around gathering and being together, you know, what is it that you can do to create connection because I do think that that connection is also when we're experiencing loss is probably the most powerful healer and it doesn't necessarily have to be the connection within in fact sometimes when you're going through loss you really shouldn't be connecting too much within because you become your own vortex of mm -hmm. grief but it's how can you create connection with others who are experiencing the grief that you're experiencing or who have experienced it before or who will understand you um, and who will help you to see that, yes, it's a loss, but there was a huge amount that you gained from that person and that there's a huge amount that you will take forward with that person. You know, someone actually uh, mentioned something to me a few weeks ago, which I really loved when they talked about the afterlife. You know, they said, what is the afterlife? You know, because every different religion has a different view on what the afterlife is. Some people think it's very different heaven and hell. Some people say it's just rebirth. And they said, actually, maybe we could just think of the afterlife as how people are remembered. So you're in heaven in your afterlife if people remember your legacy well, if you were a good person. And you're in hell in the afterlife if actually you were a bad person mm. and, you know, evil, dictator, murderer. And so maybe for those that are going through something really powerfully painful right now, 
you know, you are part of creating the afterlife for the person that you loved and that you lost. And what is it that you're going to do to remember them and honor them and live in the way that they lived that you find that you can be most proud of? And how do you honor that afterlife moving forward and take it forward positively? I absolutely love that. That's so beautiful. And and what you said about I don't think I've ever heard that before, actually, about afterlife. That's something you gave me something completely new today. I love that. But touching on oh, that, that just really struck with me. That's really beautiful because that's the thing. Like if you're just continuously being sad and like, like I said, maybe you're in the lack of motion and not doing anything is that does the person you lost would really want you to just, you know, lie in bed. Also, like shifting the perspective, yeah. like what would that person tell me right now? Mm. Like. And that's really powerful. It's like you've lost somebody like, oh, would my would my brother want me to be crying about him? And they're just like, no. Mm. And like, no, I celebrate you today. It's your birthday. I'm mm. sad you're gone. Mm. Celebrating you. I'm, I'm sad that you're not here. But I'm thinking like he wouldn't want me to be crying about it. Like he was like, come on, stop. Like stop crying. That perspective also can be super powerful. But then like also honoring their memory by... Mm-hmm. you know doing and continuing to live your life to the fullest and also like you said the gratitude that's huge because even like this morning I wasn't feeling like you know 100% probably due to last night because I was thinking about my brothers like okay how can I turn this around it's a thing gratitude practice because mm-hmm. when you're grateful you you cannot really worry like those negative things they, they just can't exist at the same time if you fully mm-hmm. think of a moment that you're so grateful for like you were with the person maybe you've lost that you're just really really feeling and visualizing that moment you cannot be fearful or sad or anything at the same time maybe there can be a sadness a little bit because like, i want that moment like i want more of that but the gratitude overpowers that so i think mm-hmm. that was really really beautiful beautiful tip to say oh my god i've enjoyed today so much oh i have too and you know actually i'm so glad i i can't believe it's taken for us to come to the end for you to use a word that i use all the time in resilience and yet i didn't use it today and actually maybe that's because this space has given me a different way to create what i would normally talk about with resilience is that you use the word perspective and for me that is the key if we say that resilience is the stories we tell ourselves what is the skill we need to use to change up the story it is perspective right and whether it's the perspective of you know um life will continue this is part of life i will learn from this they are in a better place they are pain free you know there is so much we can do in terms of changing our perspective that is really very powerful particularly when it comes to lost and you know if you really want to take it to the next level then you know if you have a spiritual set of beliefs or you have faith then it really does become a perspective that is about this is human experience Mm -hmm. i am not immune from human experience as much as i would like to be this is the way life works very painful but but also very human um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's so beautiful I feel like I could talk with you forever, but (laughs) this has been like, guys, for anybody and everybody, like if you've listened to this episode and it's served you, like, just please share, like, and that's what I really want to, I'm just so grateful for you that you did this because I mean, this was everything and more and beyond I was expecting. And and like I said, you are an expert in, well, you know, I hate the word experts. I'm an expert in the field, but like you're someone who really embodies resilience and have such a thorough and scientific understanding, but also you've given so much value for, for my listeners today, but also like sharing your story. I just want to say thank you for, 
being vulnerable, like Brene Brown and, and, and just showing up as you and, and telling your stories and sharing your wisdom today. I'm, I'm just, I'm just so grateful. If people want to connect with you, so that would be the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the best way? Like if they think like, Oh my God, I want to work with her or I have an organization. I want to work with her like with before nine, like what would mm-hmm. be the best way to connect with you? Um, so yeah, I mean, if you, if you are an individual who just liked it and wants to hear more of the kind of stuff we do, then you can find, uh, before nine on Instagram, it's before nine official. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If you're in the world of work and you either would like to connect with me on an individual level, or you think that what we do as a business might be interesting, then find me on LinkedIn. It's just RT Anhel. Mm-hmm. And I'll put those details on the, on the show notes as well, but let's finish this I, I, if you've listened to some of the other episodes, you might know what's coming next, but I have this fun, it's nice to finish on like a little bit of like fun way. I mean, this conversation has been amazing, but I have this kind of like, you know, finishing the sentence kind of thing. So I kind of start a sentence and then I would just have you finish it in a like intuitive way where you feel called in your heart. So, so let's get into, I, I love this, but this is my favorite, one of my, well, this conversation has been like one of my favorites. I have to say, like, I'm just feeling so heartful, but Okay. So I'm just going to start the sentence and then you can just, just finish it. So the first one is connection to me means. Connection to me means living a life full of awareness and wow, this is tough. Maybe I'm overthinking it, right? Oh, connection to me means living a life of awareness that drives everything I do and everything I am. I love that. I love that. Movement to me means movement to me means dancing in the kitchen with my dog and him barking amazingly uh, and nipping my ankles I love that resilience to me means resilience to me means knowing that sometimes the best life is the hardest life oh that just gave me goosebumps (laughs) I love that. I have to admit that I borrowed that. So just a little tip for your readers. I listened to a fantastic podcast yesterday with Glennon Doyle. Um, Yeah. And she's just released her new book, Untamed. And she really talked about this idea that sometimes the people who get it right in life, they're the best lives are the hardest lives. They're not the shiny, happy ones where everything went well. And I really, that really resonated to me. So I'm feeling for me today, just a full appreciation and actually a gratitude for everything difficult that's come along for me, because it is in that, those hard moments that it's really shown me who I am. And I I invite others to, to move closer to seeing their hardest times as really those fantastic building blocks for who they are and who they're going to become. That really resonates with me. And I think that's also been a wonderful way of me connecting with that. I mean, I agree with everything you said that it's really to be grateful for the hardest time because the hardest time have given me actually not the best times and for me to become who I am. So I really resonate with that. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the light <laughs> you shine and keep shining. And I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll have another conversation on another season or something about something else. <laughs> I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Thank you. It's been brilliant. And uh, thank you for um, 
you know, I think for you and I, it's very much about using our intuition to just work with each other and just feel where we're going. And I just feel like it's like me. I'm always in a state of flow when I have these kinds of conversations. So I actually have no idea how long we've spoken for. I just know that I've been fully with you and I've loved every minute of it. And I really hope that the people who are listening to it feel that they've just even one tiny little thing. If they've taken one tiny little thing away that makes a difference, then we've really done our we've done our job. We've done our job. And, and like Artie said, you know, you're the expert. And I'm sure that this episode really helped you to become the resilience expert that you are to tap into your story. Like I always say, to find that way to keep connecting and keep moving and be the resilient being that you are. Thank you, Artie. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Hello, lovelies. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say a huge thank you for listening to this episode of Moving Dialogues. If you're wanting to support the growth of this podcast, there is a donation link below so I can keep on bringing even more moving stories your way better than ever. I thank you so much for your continuous support. It doesn't go unnoticed. I'll see you next time. Much love.